Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B growth podcast. I'm Alex Hipwell. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures. On that note, let's dive right in. I'm Shane Hodder with X Growth, and today I'm talking to John Stainer, Chief Marketing Officer at Tech Target, about what should B2B leaders look for when evaluating intent data providers. On that note, let's dive in. John, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Uh, sorry about the time difference, um, and congratulations on uh, coming out of lockdown. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's uh, it's quite a relief. I feel like you know a lot of. Uh, uh, you're joining us from from Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, and you know here in Melbourne, I feel like uh, we've we've kind of forgot how to socialize. Now it's uh, the doors are open and everyone's peeking out their uh, their house, and they're like, "Really, we could go out? Is that you sure?" Um, so uh, so it's, it's it's thank you very much for that. But I want to talk about the today. I want to talk about the con the, the topic of intent. This is you know tech target is 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 pretty much the leader in this space of intent and intent data for, for marketing and salespeople. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to first explore what is, what is the buzz around intent data right now? What is this all about? I mean, you know, we previously spoke and, and you mentioned that, you know, intent data has been something that has been around for a long time. What does the market mean when they're talking about intent data today? Let's address the question of buzz and the attraction of buzz to marketers or marketers' attraction to buzz. You know, first, I don't know about you, but I got into marketing because I liked things like buzz. I, I liked what was cool and what was hot, uh, you know, in the world of fashion and, and cars and all the consumer stuff. I loved the perfume advertising. I thought that that was really fun. There are some guys who came and talked to me about uh, in university about jobs and marketing. And they said, there's this great quote uh, from somebody that said, don't let your sons grow up to be advertising men. And well, now with, you know, Mad Men, you can see why. But I thought it'd be super fun because uh, it was like a buzzy industry. So I think in, in the culture of marketing it is partially about creating excitement. And so buzz is a natural thing. And, and out of that, there's also sort of a technical attraction, especially in B2B. And so you take buzzwords and then you abbreviate them into, you know, a few initials. And there's all kinds of great buzzwords. So when I started, we didn't talk about demand gen. And so that was a buzzword. And, you know, and then there's the internet. That was kind of a buzzword. And there's ABM huge, huge buzzword. There's CRM. There's all, you know, all these acronyms. Personalization is a huge buzzword because, you know, it might be a dirty, dirty little secret, but um, when we talk about personalization in B2B, we don't necessarily mean talking to a person about their personal interests. Um, Omnichannel is a buzzword. AI is a buzzword. So these Popular these concepts get popularized and people glom onto them, and I think there's always some some important value in the term, um, but the term itself takes on a life of its own, and intent has sort of taken on a life of its own. So there's value in the concept, but there are a lot of sort of landmines on on the way to starting to work with intent. I think for for folks. 
So marketers are innovative. They like exciting new things, but they have to watch out that they, or they have to try to understand the thing uh, before making a purchase decision on their own to buy something that may or may not work or may not deliver what they think it's going to deliver. Otherwise, they get in a situation where you buy something, say it's called ABM, and what you really have is an advertising product that does something for you, does account-based advertising, but does it have any impact on the revenue yield from a particular set of accounts? Not, not very much. I mean, advertising has important impacts, but tying that to revenue uh, is a kind of a tenuous piece of analysis. Yeah, it's, it's far from it. And uh, I, I totally agree with you. I think there's, uh, there's a lot of ABM is equal an ABM tool, right? And, uh, and, and a lot of people market it that way because it sells better uh, versus saying, hey, this is RP target, IP targeted ads. It does, it's not going to sell as well as, as saying this is an ABM platform. Now, you know, what, what do we mean by, let's, let's explore what do we mean by intent? I mean, you know, intent has been around for a long time. When a lead comes on your website and they fill a form, that's, that's a sign of intent, right? When, and, and that's been around for, for ages. We've been, you know, we've been sending people to landing pages to uh, download our, our ebook for years and years. What do people mean today when they're talking about intent? Okay, so there's people who use the term to mean exactly what you described, but let's kind of try to unpack it. There is a category of data that we can call behavioral data. It's data that says somebody did something, right? They, they exhibited a behavior. And a content download is a form of that. But when we started talking about intent, we, we called it purchase intent data. <laughs> it was supposed to be behavioral data that indicated, uh, provided some real predictive value of whether a purchase was going to happen or not. I think that when we've truncated the term, uh, we've now equated it with behavioral data, whether or not it's predictive of a purchase. So that's kind of the initial problem. It is behavioral data in all its forms. Some behavior has happened, but the varieties of behavior, behavioral data, the richness of that data really affect how predictive it is or how able it is to illustrate that a purchase, an impending purchase is underway. And so when you take a lead, there's very little data in there. It's often one behavior. Uh, an open market purchase lead, there's one behavior, a content download happened. Y you don't know if that content download, how it was influenced. You don't know if subsequent downloads happened. It's certainly not an MQL, right? It, it is not multiple actions happened. So it is one behavioral event, um, not a strong signal. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's and that's true, you know. And it's fascinating because there are, there are a lot of companies out there that are selling quote unquote intent data, right? And you know, I didn't I didn't realize this for for a long time that there is a level of complexity of exactly what, what you're talking about. What 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 do you mean by intent? And you know, intent on if if you see intent from a customer on your own website, uh, and they have made multiple decisions. 
it's, it's very similar to lead scoring, right? The concept of lead scoring. And you're basically saying that this lead has intent. Now, in the market, there are third-party providers who maybe do that for you. But even that, there are differences between how they do it and how they evaluate that. And, and there are first-party intent data and third-party intent data. Can you, can you maybe unpack that a little bit for us? Of, of what does that, you know, what, what does the landscape look like and, and what, what are people selling in the market as intent? Well, so, so the first thing is I'd say that, um, you know, in terms of the buzzwords, anybody that had something that was capturing behavioral data is now calling that intent data. So all your lead providers are going to tell you they have intent data and they have behavioral data. It, it's hard to tell, you know, depending on what the ratio of false positives to actually leads that qualify all the way to, you know, sales qualified leads will tell you what percentage are actually indicative of a potential purchase. Um, but there are really four categories and, and, you hit on the first one when you said, well, there's first party behavioral signals. They're first party because they belong to the, um, call it the client organization, right? Their signals. And you have them in multiple types. You have things from your marketing automation system. You have them from your website. In, in marketing automation, you know who the person is, right? You know the account and the person. On your website, depending on how you deal with registration, you may know who the visitor is or you may not. And, and you may be limited to IP address lookup, which isn't particularly accurate. It might resolve, you know, 30, 35% of the accounts. You may have cookied them, their accounts. So you, you may know the account for sure, but not necessarily. And cookies may uh, change or they're constantly evolving. And you may have interaction with them through your sales team that you may or may not know about. And so there are a whole lot, there's a whole category of, of solutions that are helping you understand what your sales team is doing. Um, because it's not so easy when you're just looking in CRM because a lot of that communication is through email. So you got your first party and then third party lead providers are finding some way to get folks to do a download. They may own web properties. So it's their first party data and they're getting downloads on those. And they're providing you a person and a signal. And that's more like the direct first party thing. So often they have a person, but they have a weak signal. So that's the category one. And I put both your first party and third party lead providers in there because there is a signal, but it might be weak. And in some cases you can't um, resolve the person or you can't resolve the company or you can't resolve the buyer's journey. Then there's a whole category um, that involves really fancy um, AI and machine driven um, analysis of other folks data. So one example, there's two major examples. One of this is in the way the ad bidding systems work. You can bid for ads without ever buying ads, right? So you bid low and or a machine can do this for you. So you can do millions of bids and that will enable you to see what the keywords were involved with the ad, the, what would serve the ad um, and what was on the page that would be served. So you would know what the context of the ad is. And simply by doing bidding, you can grab this data and you can analyze it. And so you have some information about who's 
actually doing what kinds of searches and what's on the pages that are served. So this is called bidstream harvesting. And this is actually the most common type of intent that's being offered up by many providers. So if we set aside the fact that they're not actually paying for this data, so there's a weakness in the system that, that causes this data to leak out for people who aren't buying ads can still see the information. If we set that aside and we say, well, there may be some legal problems with that going going, you know, into the future, the, the issue still with this type of data is, one, they don't know for sure that the that the keyword is really relevant to what's actually what their clients are actually caring about so say let's say the keyword involves the word servers it, it could easily be about and they try to correct for this but it could be easily be about you know hiring people to serve at restaurants or if it's routers it could be about routers for woodwork versus routers for networking. If it's storage, it could be for, you know, offsite storage uh, versus storage uh, of data. Um, so there's all kinds of problems there, but the biggest problem is that your the keywords that you wanna find are only as good as the keywords your client tells you to find. So rather than discovering demand about a topic, you're looking for the keywords that your client has asked you to look for. And that's impacted by the client's understanding of their market. And the client's understanding of their market is only as good as their ability to study the market. So, so when they go to an intent provider and say, look for these keywords, they're not looking necessarily broadly enough. They're not looking precisely enough. And what they get back is a reinforcement only of what they asked for. Um, so it's not a particularly strong signal. It may be an illegal signal and it's not a particularly deep or broad signal. And then of course, the most important thing is that it doesn't tell you who the people are. So it becomes a hard signal to action. The third type, which is you might call now a, a classic type, is by data providers who aggregate data from a network of publishers where the publisher is the first party provider and they're tracking activity on their websites. And then the data provider is sourcing that from the publisher, right? They're buying the field of data. And so that's a very good idea because publishers have audiences who come to their websites. And, and so it's a great way to see information about what is occurring on all types of websites. The challenge is that those websites, one, tend not to be permission-based. Um, and so you're never going to resolve the people. And the other is that when websites have particularly valuable data, they tend not to participate in a publishing network. <laughs> and so what you're really looking at is a lot of websites that aren't the particularly popular ones. Um, in a given category, right? The more popular the website, the less likely the web property owner is going to sell the data. So you're getting a good aggregate view. It tends to be a very broad view, but it's not a very powerful signal and you don't have the people. But as an overlay, that's a, a data form on, on other types of data. So you've got your first party data, you've got aggregate data on contacts, and now you're overlaying something or you're using it 
to power advertising is, is a solution that people have found they like quite a bit. And the fourth type is private properties on the web, owned generally by publishers. And this is what we have. And the publishers there have created something that they think is really valuable. It's serving a very particular need. So they're keeping it private. They're not sharing it. And they tend to have built infrastructures that are one permission based. So you have to share your data if you want to see that, uh, share your personal data if you want to see that content. And that content tends to be built for things like helping you make purchase decisions. And so this tends to make it much richer. Uh, the data stream that comes from it tends to be much richer because the whole business concept is we'll give you this information that will help you make really important decisions in exchange for data about you. And so it's kind of like, you can think of it like Amazon. They're not going to share data about their customers with anybody, but they're going to use it like mad, right? But that's because they want to take over the world, right? So a smaller organization like Tech Target, we have to make money by sharing data. And we have to make our visitors uh, willing to give us their information by telling them we're going to share their data and supplying them with the content they need that's super important so that they make the right purchase decisions in the technology industry. So our whole business model is built on, we're gonna give you great content to help you make purchase decisions, but you have to allow us to share your data with the tech vendors who are trying to figure out what you need. Do you ever find yourself stuck with a B2B problem? Need a second opinion on your next campaign? or looking for some feedback on that piece of MarTech you're thinking to purchase. Well, that's why we created the Growth Colony Slack channel. The Slack channel is like a small dinner party where you get to meet and mingle with B2B professionals, hear what others are doing and keep up to date with the latest B2B trends and news. You'll also get access to a range of exclusive content from our podcasts, webinars and events. The best thing about it it's all free. If this sounds interesting, head over to growthcolony.org forward slash slack and sign up. That's growthcolony.org forward slash slack. I guess the, you know, the, the next question that I want to ask is, you know, let's say I'm a CMO and I'm looking at purchasing, you know, partnering with an intent platform, right? Uh, and We've touched on this a little bit, but I definitely want to make it clear. What are some of the questions that I should be asking? You know, what what do I what do I go in there and, and be like, you know, give me the answer to these questions? What do you think those important questions are that a CMO should ask or, or you know, a, a director of sales or head of sales or whoever it is? Well, so there's two sides to that question. Uh, one is the questions you should ask yourself. That is what challenges inside your company or in in your company's go-to-market would you hope or do you think intent data might help you with so make a list of those you know uh, i have problems with this 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 and this in marketing and and similar ones in sales and i'm looking for a data provider to help me so let's take it out of the intent space first let's talk about data providers overall um, so everybody has a problem finding 
people to contact. So that's, you know, you need a con, you might say, I need a contact data supplier. But if you say, well, I've got a lot of people I could contact, I want to know the ones I should contact. That's when you want a behavioral overlay that says, this guy's not interested in anything right now, but that guy seems to be interested, right? So you take a contact data layer, you add a technographic layer, you have a firmographic layer, and now what do you need in the behavioral data layer that will help you accomplish sort of the optimal balance of what you what your actions are going to be and what the yield is going to be from it. So you write those things down and then you're going to take those and say to the provider, how can you help me with this? Right, right. <laughs> so it is, okay, will you help me find the accounts I want to advertise to? Well, anybody can do that. Right. If you say, well, you want to advertise to people to fewer than everybody, that's the first assumption. Right. And then, so yes, you know what your total addressable market is. You don't want to advertise to all of them. Or if you have enough money, maybe you do want to advertise to all of them. Then, well, you know, inside of that, what your ideal customer profile is. Maybe you want to advertise to all of those. Well, a lot of companies don't really even do any advertising. So, you know, if advertising is a big part, that's one thing. But if advertising is not a big part, that's something to think about. So if the if the intense supplier's primary benefit is to somewhat reduce your total advertising scope, but you don't do a lot of advertising, you'd want to take that off the table. And then you could go right down the road. Do you, Are you interested in more leads or are you interested in lead conversion rates, for instance? Two very different questions. So some companies have realized that more is not always better and they started to focus more on conversions. So they've modified their KPIs and they're saying, I'm much more interested in the percentage of leads that converts to marketing qualified lead. Well, in that case, you want a, f- a lot fewer false positives, leads that never convert, right? And so in order to do that, you have to look for ways to prioritize uh, even further. So if you prioritize on accounts, that's pretty good. But if you can only do accounts, and I was talking about accounts with category two and category three, right? So Bidstream Harvesting and uh, Publisher Network, they only do accounts. So you may not even get, well, let's talk about the biggest problem. You don't know who in those accounts might be a lead, right? And so you have a volume problem again, because you could say, well, I could send email to all the people in those accounts, but now you have an email spamming kind of problem. And you're going to expend a lot of effort sending things to people who don't respond at all. But the bigger problem there is when you try to take the type of intent that only tells you about accounts and bring that over to sales and say, I got this great intent that everybody's talking about. Now it's going to help you. The first question sales is going to ask you is, okay, You're telling me something about accounts that you think I should focus on, but 
who do I focus on in the account? That's the first question. And if they have a lot of contact data already, what you're basically telling them is, I think this account is doing something, but now I expect you to cold call the whole account. Right. I mean, and so it's hugely good. Good luck getting buy-in from sales with that. Well, but they're saying I'm doing that already. I'm cold calling all my accounts. So why do I need your thing? Right. Because you're defaulting to cold call. But let's say they say, okay, I really believe that you can tell me which accounts are surging. The second they find no evidence that surge is connected to performance of their accounts, they're not going to believe that surge is indicative of anything. So the false positive problem marketing really needs to think about before it, it goes and takes tools that might be useful in its world and expects sales to climb on board. Yeah, that's when we're selling internally to sales we can't think in terms of one-to-many marketing improvements. We have to think the way a salesperson thinks. Who is the specific person? What is the specific product? Where in the account is this happening? Is there an opportunity there that I can tell because I see a buying team or a buying journey? So you have to think really hard about what elements of the sales process exist in this data enough so that you want to market it to them. So long story short, I'd say that there's sometimes some kinds of intent that are potentially helpful to marketing, but not helpful to sales. There's other types of intent that could really help sales. And you have to interrogate the supplier to understand what the most positive use cases tend to be from that particular supplier. Yeah, and what's the granularity of the data that they're going to provide? Um, you know, I've, I haven't completely formulated this thought, but I was thinking about it yesterday of how in the you know, B2B enterprise world, marketing doesn't have a lot of opportunity for experimentation. You know, like marketing, and especially in demand gen, is all about experimentation, right? It's like, okay, let's go, go, go test it out and see what, what, what the results are. But, you know, when... when you go in the enterprise space because you have to deal with sales, just like you mentioned, if you do too many experiments that they don't work, sales is going to be like, forget about this. I'm not, I'm not interested. This, these marketing guys, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm not going to, next time they come to me and they're like this, they got something interesting. I'm not going to pay attention. So it becomes so important for marketing to be very calculating with their experiments and, and what they're going to test and how they're going to go about it would compare to, you know, the startup worlds of move fast and break things because you can lose that, that buying from sales. And, and I think the other important thing about, just like you said, that, you know, sales is going to, is going to lose trust is because their salary is dependent on it, right? Marketing is usually not as heavily dependent on the results, led the reality of it. Right. In, in most organizations, there is, yes, there's a quota of certain numbers that they got to hit, but sales is, is uh, a lot heavier dependent on, you know, sometimes what marketing says, and that could, it could impact their, uh, the, the money in their pocket. Yeah. Well, so let me rebut that a little bit. Sales is very powerful and the power of sort of negative press 
is extraordinary and it's hugely dangerous. So I think what I hear you saying is, hey, just be super careful before you market this to sales and be really upfront about what it can do and what it's not so good at. That's one thing. Um, the other piece is you actually have to train sales on how to use behavioral data. And then you have to protect yourself as a marketer from the negative by making sure you have a good connection very high up in the sales organization so that that the decision to one, choose a particular provider and two, drop a provider is not driven by hearsay. So salespeople, I agree with you, will drop things that don't work after like one try, right? So you send them a lead and let's say you've got all kinds of information about this lead, but what you send is just the lead. So you know it's really good. If a salesperson can't reach that company, that individual, they will disposition it as failure to connect, right? So now you've lost the whole opportunity there, right? So let's say you had one person who qualified as an MQL and you had 10 people who were in different lead stages, right? You sent one, they disqualify that one and they won't listen to any of the other people from that account that you send. So now they've disqualified a real opportunity. It's a huge problem that intent at the contact level solves if you can explain to sales that I you can't disqualify a whole account based on one person. But if you can't change that behavior, they're going to disqualify things and then they're going to say intent is bad. So if you choose a provider that doesn't really help sales, but you want and you say you got, you know, in marketing, we got some positive things with this provider. They were less expensive because they had a less expensive way of manufacturing behavioral data. And now we want to upgrade, but I've blown it with sales. Now you're going to have a problem upgrading. So it really is a matter of saying, what do you want to try to accomplish when you decide on a particular supplier or before, what do you, what are you going to try to accomplish short-term and what would you like to accomplish long-term? Because that may determine which supplier you go with initially. Sometimes we have a starter car and we or starter home and we intend to move up. But if your starter home is so ugly you can't sell it, then you're never going to have a chance to move up. So that's something you think about too. What is your long-term goal with the supplier or the source that you are looking at? Fantastic. Okay. Now, John, I want to ask a couple of a uh, couple of uh, rapid questions. Uh, we got we got four of them, and then we uh, we wrap it up. This is this has been this has been awesome. All right, the first one is: What is one resource? Could it be book, a blog, podcast, a talk that fundamentally changed the way that you work or you live or you know you go about doing things? Uh, I would say the podcast has fundamentally allowed me to read while I exercise. What is the podcast? Well, is there a particular podcast? Any podcast. So, I, I, yeah, I like a lot of podcasts. Uh, one is called 99% Invisible. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Second one. If you could give one advice to B2B marketers or salespeople, what would it be? Uh, learn, learn to use data. Third question. What are, what, what, are, what are the influencers that you follow in marketing and sales space? 
I just told you that I follow 150 or so. Hey, if you were <laughs> going to pick one person, all right, one person that you, you kind of admire or you listen to or you, you, you enjoy their content, what, who would that be? Yeah, his name is Tom Tungus. Tom Tungus works for a venture capital firm called Red Point Ventures. And he has done more for me in terms of explaining what investors are looking for at different stages in SaaS company development than anybody else on the internet. Right, which then also correlates to some of the other other things around uh, the stock market and, and um, all that. Is that is that what you well, mean? Well, actually, no. So so I'm always looking for how should I be measuring my activities as a CMO. Right, right. And so in order to understand that, I want to understand how external evaluators would measure my activities. And so as a venture capitalist, what he's doing is he's saying, okay, here's where you should be. Here's what you should do at different stages of developing as a, a SaaS entrepreneur. And this is what VCs are going to be looking for. Gotcha. And so I learn the language of VCs, and then I start to analyze my business as an external person would see it. Fascinating. Last question, John, is what's something that excites you about B2B today? I've always found B2B exciting. Uh, most of my friends and my spouse certainly don't find it exciting. <laughs> I think the thing that I find is exciting, there's two things. One. B2B tech, particularly uh, because tech actually solve, makes our lives better. It solves problems in, uh, in business and life. And so B2B marketing is about uh, helping companies solve the problem of explaining their tech and getting their tech in the hands of companies and the end users. And um, that's you know infinitely complicated and hard. And so there is always improvement in the process of doing that. And so it's endlessly fascinating and, 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 it, and it's changing so much that you're always learning something every day. And that keeps me interested in going to work because I can learn new things. I can learn how to do new things. We can do things that we never did You know, five years ago. We wouldn't have had this interaction. And so I feel like I'm becoming somebody able to do things that I hadn't been able to do in the past and having fun doing that um, you know meeting somebody in, from Australia who I never knew before is something we can now do right and we wouldn't necessarily have done this as aggressively pre-COVID as we start looking around the world um, and everybody's on Zoom so all this stuff this technology this understanding of behavior is just really interesting and enabling of accomplishing things and so it's just been wonderful. And, you know, I've been doing it now for 30 years. And you think every so often they invent something called the Internet and then they invent CRM and then they invent the iPhone. And it just, you know, it keeps getting cooler and cooler. One day B2B will be cool. Right now it's pretty cool in that there's lots of need for smart people and lots of successful companies. So as a career, it's cool. It's just not as cool as like sneakers. <laughs> That's right. That's true. Uh, you're you're so right. It's you know there's so many moving parts and you're learning every day. And the moment you're like, you know, I feel like at at one point you look at it, you're like, okay, if I can master this component, I'll be fine. 
it, it almost feels like it's a circle that it, when it's, and, and your knowledge is the, is, is the area around the circle. And the moment the, you know, your knowledge grows also the surface area of what you don't know. And it just grows and you're like, I, I know less and less and less, uh, even though you start to know more. So it's, it's very fascinating. John, it has been amazing talking to you and it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, uh, for jumping on the podcast. I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of insights from, from the chat and especially around intent. So uh, thanks, thanks all for joining us. Hey, it's a lot of fun. And I'm always looking to do things with people from Australia because I'm dying to visit. And uh, as I told you, you know, I'm a big fan of things like uh, marsupials. <laughs> and uh, so as soon as COVID's done, it's on the list. We'll, we'll get you down here, uh, John, for <laughs> sure. We'll get you down here. Thanks so much, John. Keep it up. Yeah, keep it up. Thank you. Hey, it's Alex again from X Growth. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help get the word out to other B2B professionals. If you're hungry for more B2B content, make sure to join our Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack, where we share the latest B2B news tactics, tips, and chat about problems we're facing in the B2B space and find solutions together. That's growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode.